The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome once again to the next Big Idea Daily. Let me start by asking you a question. What's the most important thing to focus on in order to live a long and healthy life? Surely it's nutrition, right? Making sure you're putting the correct amount of high-quality foods in your body. Or maybe it's sleep. I've heard a lot of people talking about sleep lately. Actually, it's probably work, isn't it? Having a purpose in life and achieving your goals, earning a good living, meeting your creative potential. That's what it's all about, right? Well, I'm not saying those are bad answers, but according to the latest science, they're just not the right answers. The study of happiness is now pretty well established as a discipline, and researchers have done multiple studies on key contributors to human flourishing. The longest running of these is something called the Harvard Study of Adult Development, been going on for about 85 years. And despite its name, it's not just a look inside the emotional lives of Ivy League kids, even though it did start that way and we'll get into that later. It's a study that's gone deep over entire lifetimes, a longitudinal study tracking the ups and downs of several generations of individuals of various socioeconomic backgrounds, documenting their hopes and dreams, their successes and failures, all in an effort to distill what it is that makes the difference between a rewarding life and a miserable one. This week, I'm sitting down with the Associate Director of the Harvard Study, psychologist Mark Schultz, co-author, along with Robert Waldinger, of the book, The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Study on Happiness. And with Mark's help, we're going to reveal to you what those decades of research have turned up. Here's Mark to share his key finding and then I'll be back to chat with him about it. If we step back and look at all 84 years of the Harvard study and boil the findings down to a single principle for living, one life investment that is supported by similar findings across a wide variety of other studies, it would be this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. And science also shows us that the absence of good relationships diminishes our health and well-being. Some specific findings. People who are more isolated than they want to be find their health declining sooner than people who feel connected to others. Lonely people also live shorter lives. Chronic loneliness increases a person's odds of death in any given year by 26%. Sadly, the sense of disconnection from others is growing. About one in four Americans report feeling lonely and Great Britain has appointed a Minister of Loneliness to address what has become a major public health challenge. So if you're going to make that one choice that could best ensure your own health and happiness, science tells us that your choice should be to cultivate warm relationships. Mark Schultz, welcome to the Next Big Idea Daily. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Maybe we could back up just a minute and you could tell me about the origins of the Harvard study of adult development. What was this thing? What was the original idea? How did it get started? Who was in it? So this was a study that began in the late 1930s. 1938 was the official origin date. And this is in the throes of the Depression on the eve of World War II. 
And it actually began as two separate studies. Uh, so 724 total participants, about two thirds of those participants were inner city boys that were growing up in Boston's poorest neighborhoods. They were mostly from immigrant families. I think about two-thirds of them came from immigrant families living in very poor and challenging circumstances, typically in tenement buildings that were quite crowded without running water or toilets. And then sort of across town, just outside Boston, were a group that were at a more privileged point or perch in their life. These were Harvard University students. Now, this was the remaining one-third of those participants. And both groups were followed, as I suggested, throughout their entire lives. The two studies were separate at the beginning, but they were uni united by, again, a, a somewhat unique focus for the 1930s. They were both interested in trying to understand the circumstances that led to individuals thriving in life. So the inner city kids were growing up in very challenging circumstances. What factors were leading to, to those individuals overcoming some of those challenges and being able to flourish as opposed to others who struggled? The Harvard students had a leg up, certainly on those inner city boys, but there were different outcomes that they had throughout their life. So what were the factors that led to them thriving? So this was early positive psychology, if you will, very unusual focus for that time, uh, less of a focus on sickness and problems and more of a focus on what led to flourishing. You know, obviously, this was a pretty limited sample of people, I believe, entirely male. Is that true? And mostly white? So the beginning, the sample was totally male. Uh, these were inner city boys and male students at Harvard. There were no female students at Harvard at that time. And it was largely white. So in the book, we address that by trying to think about findings that are consistent across time, across culture, across ethnicity, across gender. The Harvard study has found uh, a lot of findings that highlight the importance of relationships. So we look particularly at the research literature when it came to um, how powerful relationships were for our emotional well-being and for our physical health. And the findings we talk about in The Good Life in our book are supported and buttressed by hundreds of other findings. Okay, so let's get back to your main idea, the main headline from the study. Basically, that relationships are the most important thing for a happy life, not diet, not nutrition, just relationships are the key thing. Warm relationships, you say, but, but what is a warm relationship? How do I know if my relationships are warm? So I think the key here is thinking about the quality of your connections to others. And when we are talking about the importance of relationships, we're talking about a variety of relationships. I think we'll get into that some more. But across your relationships, there's some qualities that are important. Trust is an important aspect of relationships that are enlivening and, and increase your likelihood of experiencing happiness and health. Reciprocity, so giving and getting things in return are important. And then there are a number of kinds of support that we get out of relationships. Relationships are incredibly important when we meet challenges in life. Um, uh, friends or relatives or partners help us by um, helping calm us down, deal with our feelings, the challenges that come up around you know, uncertainty uh, when we're facing challenge. And they may also give us good advice or call us out if we're not seeing something. Um, but dealing with stress is only one part of what relationships give us. Um, they, they remind us of our connection with other human beings, uh, what it means to be alive and human. It gives us a, a sense of something larger than ourselves. 
It helps us figure out who we are, our sense of identity. So relationships are important in so many ways, but it's quality um, in relationships that's most critical. Warmth is a part of it, but that experience of support and trust also really important. Do you do you have any recommendations for uh, for a way to check? Like, am I am I calling my friends enough, or do I need to have a a weekly conversation with my parents, or you know? Are there any kind of practical tips for figuring out, like, are these relationships where they need to be? So one of the things that we asked our participants was we we asked them as a simple question, but a scary one. In the middle of the night, if you're scared or worried or hurt, is there someone you can call? Is there someone you can depend on for help? And what we found is that people had varied responses. Uh, a, a bunch of people said, yes, here are the people I can call and I can count on. Some people said, no, there's no one in my life. Uh, some people even said they're not sure they would uh, use their partner in that way or rely on their partner. So that's one assessment. Does someone really have your back? And then I think it's also helpful to think about relationships in your life that you do find enlivening, that add something important to your life that you enjoy. Are those people, are you spending enough time with in your life? And I think for those relationships that are working well, uh, you want to reach out, let those people know that they're important to you, that you want that relationship to continue. You'd maybe like to spend more time with them and to figure out how to do that. It may be a regular occasion where you get together over coffee. It may be a a regular walk. Um, It could be a regular phone call or a Zoom call. But the key part is really reaching out, letting people know how important they are to you and thinking about ways to, to make that connection more frequently. Your first idea really is about the health impacts of loneliness. And as you say, you say the data is kind of extraordinary that loneliness increases a person's odds of death in any given year by 26%. I mean, that's that's a lot. I, I wonder, are there any other points about the health impact specifically that that you came across? So in our own study, we see consistently the ways in which relationships are connected to our physical health. So I'll just give some short examples. If we look at your relationship health with your intimate partner at age 50, that that's a predictor of the quality of your aging in your 80s. And it's more important, for example, than your cholesterol at age 50. In the book, we talk about one study, which I think is particularly interesting. This was a study done by Jim Cohn at the University of Virginia. And he put people in a scanner to look at brain activity and exposed them to mild sources of pain. In some conditions, people were in the scanner alone, and in other conditions, they were able to hold the hand of another individual. Um, One of those conditions, it was the hand of someone that they loved. And what he found is that the areas of the brain that are associated with the experience of pain were modified. They were less active when people experience pain while holding the hand of another person. So that's an example of the ways in which relationships literally get into our bodies and our brains. There are many other examples that we talk about in the book. Uh, Another example is our wounds heal quicker when we have positive connections with others. So we're learning more and more. It's a kind of frontier of science about how relationships get into our bodies and affect our health in ways that I think it was hard to imagine decades ago. Relationships affect the way our genes are expressed, and those genes in turn affect things like our inflammatory patterns, which are associated with physical health problems, and our ability to fight bacteria and viruses as well. 
So listeners, it sounds like you can ditch that probiotic yogurt and hop off that treadmill because diet and exercise don't hold a candle to relationships when it comes to healthy living. But you know, that's easy to say, but how do you actually do it? How do you actually cultivate good relationships in your life? Well, tune in tomorrow because Mark's coming back with more findings from the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Meanwhile, feel free to download our Next Big Idea app where you can learn more about relationships from Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, authors Eric Barker and Lydia Denworth, and lots of other bright people. Or come hang out with me on LinkedIn, form a relationship with other Next Big Idea daily listeners. My name is Michael Kovnat, that's K-O-V-N-A-T, and I'll see you tomorrow.